Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. Special shout out to you, Yoshiko Dart, as we are celebrating ADA Month. This is ADA Month, the month celebrating the signing of that great piece of civil rights legislation, the Americans with Disabilities Act. How important that is to us. And I also, I want to tell you, 17 countries listening to this show, amazing. It is amazing. And Ireland, I don't know what's going on, but once again this week, you are number one in listeners. I just want to say, everyone, every country, thank you so much for following the show, because whether you have a disability here or anywhere in the world, guess what? It's still a disability. And finally, hi, Mark. Hi, Mark has been the lead sponsor of this show now for three years. So, hi, Mark continues to set that high mark for other companies to follow. Now, as you notice, I said this is ADA month. And who better to have as our first guest than the Honorable Tony Quello? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's an honor to be on the show with you. Thank you very much. It, it is, you know, uh, what, 29 years now, so... Uh, it's great to keep celebrating ADA Month and the impact that it's had over the years, not only here in the United States, but as you point out, uh, all over the world. Uh, the impact of ADA uh, has, is now involved in 52 different countries. So it isn't the same as our ADA, uh, but it is an acknowledgement that those of us with disabilities have rights and those of us with disabilities want opportunities. So I applaud every country that's uh, recognized the ADA as a standard to, to copy and uh, hopefully to implement. Well, it is surely a great honor, Tony, knowing you and seeing what you've done in your life. And I did not have the privilege to see how you worked to get the ADA, um, but it, it is just, we are so blessed to have you in this world, let alone on this show. And, you know, as you heard me say, Tony, we have 17 countries that listen to the show. As you can see, we have really grown over the past 14 years. Um, so many people listening to the show would not know your story, which I think is so important Will you, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Of course, I'm happy to. Uh, some, some of the folks on the call will have heard it, uh, so let me uh, try to get the highlights of it in particular so all your listeners will know why uh, it's become my passion and my ministry. Um, when I was a young man, I was on a dairy farm, um, milking cows at my family's uh, dairy, and I passed out uh, in the barn. My brother carried me to the house. Um, doctor came out. Uh, I woke up, and the doctor was uh, 
uh, over me, and my parents and my brother were in the room, and uh, I couldn't speak. I could hear, but I couldn't speak. And the doctor was telling them uh, about uh, what I was going through in effect. Now, what he told them is that uh, I didn't hear this, but what he told them is that I had epilepsy and described what a seizure was, etc. But my family, being Portuguese and uh, very devout Catholics, felt that if you had epilepsy, it meant that you were possessed by the devil. Now, I always joke when I'm speaking somewhere that my Republican friends know that I'm possessed, but to have your family feel that way is <laughs> different. Um, but they felt that I was possessed, um, and uh, so they took me to other doctors. Other doctors told them the same thing uh, without me in the room. And then after that, uh, because it couldn't, they couldn't find the reason for the problem, although they were being told over and over again, uh, they decided to take me to witch doctors. So I went to three different witch doctors, which at 17 was a rather scary experience. Um, you go into a dark room, all the lights off, candles burning, pour oil on your forehead and on your chest, and, and uh, uh, someone speaks in a language you don't understand. Um, and then that's the prayers and you leave. Well, I continued having seizures each time. Then um, I basically realized that uh, my family wasn't letting me do a lot of things in public because the in the Portuguese community at the time, that if you had somebody that had epilepsy and having seizures, it meant that God was punishing the family, not necessarily the individual with the seizures, uh, for some major sin, and that the public would see that this individual was having a seizure and that the family did something. So I didn't appreciate any of this until much later in my life, but anyway, I then realized that was something was going on, and my family and I became estranged at that point, uh, not as total as it was later. But then I graduated from high school, went to college in Los Angeles to get away from Central California, and I uh, was outside senior and student by president in high school and in college, the same thing. I kept on having these passing out spells, but... Once it was over, I got up and, and continued on with my life. The I, end of my college career, I decided that instead of becoming a trial lawyer, that I wanted to become a Catholic priest. The reason being is that John F. Kennedy had just gotten assassinated, and, and I felt that if he could give up his life for public good, that I needed to do something um, that was much more rewarding for myself and for others. So I decided to enter the Catholic priesthood. After an exam that I had, the doctor says to me, um, have you ever word, heard the word epilepsy? And I said, no. And he said, well, it's what you have. And he described what, uh, what I was going through and why and so forth. Um, I told him about my family, and, and he's the one who told me that that was a problem. Um, and he explained to me why, uh, and he said, well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're 4F, 
This was 1964, in the middle of the Vietnam War, so you can't serve in the military. The second thing is, is that you can't be a Catholic priest because canon law established in 400 AD said if you have epilepsy or possessed by the devil, you can't be a priest. So I was denied entry. Um, I was happy when I left the doctor's office because I knew what my problem was and he could prescribe medication to help me. Uh, I was excited about that. And, of course, that did help. Uh, but when I called home to tell my family, um, they said, no son of ours has epilepsy. And if you, what I said earlier, you can see what they were going through. They had this burden that um, they didn't want this to be known publicly. Now, I didn't appreciate that, but um, that's now what I realized they were going through. Well, I started drinking because as I went to uh, as student by president, I got a lot of job offers. As I kept on going to these places, filling out an application, the word epilepsy was on every job application. I would check it, and I never got one interview, even though I had been outstanding senior student by president um, and so forth. Uh, that checking of that box became an issue, and I started to realize that. And I started drinking heavily. I felt that everything in my life that I'd ever loved, my church, my God, my family, um, had turned against me. And so I became suicidal. And on the day that I was going to do the dirty deed, uh, I was drunk and on a hilltop in Los Angeles, California. And uh, a voice came over me and said, there was a merry-go-round on the top of the bottom of the hill. And little kids getting off and on, a voice came over me and said, you're going to be just like those little kids. You're not going to let anybody or anything stop you from doing what you want to do. And that was it. I, I drink, but I don't get drunk. Um, I've not been depressed since. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I just started feeling better about myself. And a week or so later, uh, I got an opportunity to live with Bob Hope, uh, the famous uh, American comedian of the 60s and 70s. And uh, I lived with him for a year, and at the end of that time, uh, he said to me one day, he says, um, uh, you think that your ministry is only practiced in a church. A true ministry is practiced in sports, entertainment, business, government, but where you belong is in politics. And I've always given Bob Hope credit for my political career. And that's then I wrote a letter to my congressman. He was looking for somebody, uh, which is coincidental, right? And I, he interviewed me. I got the job immediately. And I worked for him for 13 years. And when he retired, I took his place. And my commitment to my constituents was that um, I would do everything I could do to make a difference in regards to the issues that impacted them. Primarily, agriculture um, was the big issue. And that, but on personal issues, that I had to pursue um, disabilities. So when I got elected, I started talking about doing something on disabilities. A lot of grassroots effort in California 
uh, working on things. And uh, I, Papa Bush, as I call him, President Bush, uh, working with some people and and uh, with President Reagan at the time. And I then put together uh, a piece of legislation that got introduced, and that's how it all started. Wow. I mean, that, you know what, Tony? I always tell people this. You went from the very, very bottom. I mean, you were rejected by your, you know, everyone. You know, you couldn't be in, uh, in the church. Your family rejected you. You can't get jobs because you have this disability. And yet, look what happened. Now, first of all, thank goodness that God told you that uh, when you were on that hill, because if not, we wouldn't have you authoring the Americans with Disabilities Act. Obviously, there was a plan. There was a big plan. But sometimes in life, when we're given those choices, you know, we have to be willing to make it. And you did. And, um, I mean, you are just a great Man, you are truly a great, great person. I, I wanted to ask you. Let me let me say how, something, Joyce. Yes. That a couple of things. One is that uh, I openly thank God for my epilepsy uh, because it's forced me to be a better person, to understand myself, and understand others. So I'm very positive about that, and it did. Um, make me into who I am, um, and, I, and I thank God for that. The second thing is, some people take my story and wonder if I'm still a uh, Catholic. I am. I'm a devout Catholic. And I realize that a lot of the rulings in the Catholic Church are made by men, um, and that they're for certain reasons. But I am devout because I believe um, in... Uh, the makings uh, of the church, the beliefs of the church. And I don't really uh, worry about some of these negatives. When I was uh, the Democratic whip uh, in the House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives, um, I got to make a trip to the Vatican, and it was at my request to the State Department, and I wanted to have a meeting with the Pope. I had a delegation with me, and uh, I met with the Pope. He walked in, we all stood up, he sat down, and I went to the podium. And I have a very strong belief, Joyce, as you know, that when you have the podium, it doesn't mean a wooden structure in front of you or a microphone. It just means when you have attention, when you have the attention of people. Um, so when you have the podium, you need to speak the truth uh, and, and make a difference. So I have the Pope, and I read a very boring pre-approved speech by the Vatican and the U.S. State Department. I get through with the speech, and I say to the Pope, uh, by the way, I have actual pictures of me doing this, so, um, but I say to the Pope, Your Holiness, I cannot live with myself if I didn't say something personal. As a young man, uh, I decided that I wanted to become a Catholic priest. I was denied entry because I have epilepsy. 
and canon law, established in 400 A.D., said that if you have epilepsy or possessed by the devil, you can't be a priest. I think that's very unchristian of our church. That's terrible. I wish into it. At the end of that, he then gave his boring speech. We then took a lot of pictures. And at the end, he walked my wife and I to the door. She, he was holding her hand. Got to the door, he blessed her. He turned to me and did not bless me. Now, as a Catholic, that is a signal that something's wrong. And I took it like that I had made a mistake in one way, but I never doubted I did the right thing. He turned to me and he said, young man, I heard your comments and walked away. Two years later, canon law was changed to permit people with epilepsy to become priests. Wow. Now, I don't take credit for it. I knew, I know what I did. And that's what's important about using the podium. I knew what I did, and I had all kinds of witnesses there, my colleagues from Congress and my family. But there was change. And I don't know if it was because of what I did or if it was because of something else, but that's not important. What's important is that I used the podium. And I'm thank, thankful for that opportunity to help move something along or to motivate or whatever, but it worked. And I urge those of us with disabilities to use the podium every time you get a chance. Yes, and look what happened. Well, I know, Tony, I've, I will never forget that saying. I say, quote you frequently, when you get a chance to take the podium, speak up. And you did. You What you're saying, you did. Um, I wanted to ask you, Tony, was that when you were in Congress and you were, you know, fighting to get this ADA signed, was that like a really difficult fight? Where there, was there a lot of opposition to this being signed? Well, without getting too much inside baseball, and I'll tell you that the leadership in the House, with Democrats controlled, leadership in the House was not inclined to be supportive because they thought it was a major legislation and that the public might revolt against it. And so they were concerned about it. Now, I was in a leadership position and when I put out a Dear Colleague letter and asked people to co-sign the letter for me, it was amazing. I had uh, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, men and women, all come up to me and say, Tony, we want to go on that legislation. They had not read it, but they read my letter. I want to go on that legislation with you because my son, my daughter, my wife, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, uh, my next-door neighbor have a disability, and I don't like the way they're treated. And so I had a lot of co-sponsors. But then the leadership, what they did to me was to assign the bill to, I think, seven different committees and about 15 different subcommittees. And the purpose was to slow it down and not let it move. Um, Kenny Hoyer, a congressman from Maryland, uh, led the effort for me. Um, we uh, strategized by going through the most favorable subcommittee of all these to get it approved and then create a momentum that couldn't be stopped. So we would take the next 
most favorable and just keep on going. And we had opposition from committee chairman, uh, but we pushed and so forth and got it through their committee, subcommittees. Uh, and then on the Public Works Committee, which is transportation and all that stuff, uh, was our biggest fight. Uh, Greyhound Bus um, fought it aggressively. They had been big supporters of a lot of members. And when it came down to it, we only wanted on a 21 to 20 vote um, in that committee. And what was great is that uh, we had a couple of Californians that really helped me out to get it passed. But once that happened, we took it to the floor, we had overwhelming support on the floor. And the Senate uh, was the same thing, overwhelming support in the Senate. And then, of course, Papa Bush was president, and uh, there was a huge effort to try to get him to veto it. His chief of staff uh, uh, was an advocate for defeat, for a veto. And I talked to him, and he said, no, I'm going to be for a veto no matter what. I know that you're going to end up talking to the president, um, but I'm going to tell him why I think it should be vetoed. I talked to the president. Most people don't know that he had a daughter who died of a disability. And he said to me, Tony, don't worry about it. I'm going to sign it. And, of course, he did. Uh, so the struggle we went through, but it was worth fighting for. But you had to fight. You couldn't sit back. It was a fight. And ultimately, most of these people who were opposed at the time um, now take credit for it, and that's great. The more, the more people take credit for it, the better it is for the ADA. Yes, but we, and that's right, but we also know, I know you, Tony, and I know you're a fighter. So thank goodness we have had you on our side. And here we go. It is time for our half-hour news break with Perry Jude Radisick from Disability Rights Pennsylvania with our news update. Perry, how are you? Hey, Joyce. I'm fine, and uh, an early happy Fourth of July. Thank you. You too. Uh, so, uh, yes, we're celebrating the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, but the United Nations in June was celebrating the 12th session of the Conference of States Parties to the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Now, what does that mean? It means that this was the 12th year in the row that the United Nations hosted a conference that paid tribute to a treaty that the disability advocacy community had been working so hard on internationally. And that's the treaty on the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We know this by its initials called the CRPD. So the CRPD is an international treaty that identifies and promotes the rights of persons with disabilities. So in this international treaty are principles of non-discrimination, inclusion, equality, and access. The treaty also established a United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. 
So in June, the UN committee hosted this conference, and there were general sessions and workshops on technology, employment, health care, the inclusion of people with disabilities into society, moving people out of institutions across the globe, civil rights, public access, and so much more. So I'm talking about this because the UN had live broadcasts of all of their workshops and general sessions. Right now, if you go to our website at www.disabilityrightspa.org, the the text of this Advocacy Matters segment is already up on our website with links to all of this information from the United Nations. We have the link to the UN agenda on the CRPD, and you can locate every statement, every roundtable, every dialogue. So you have a link also to the convention, to that treaty that was adopted by the UN in 2006. Now, we know many countries have ratified the CRPD. Unfortunately, the United States is still a little behind some of the uh, countries uh, across our globe. But we're going to keep trying, Joyce. We're going to keep trying to get the U.S. Senate to one day ratify the CRPD. So, you know, advocacy matters, and one day the United States is going to join that long list of countries who have ratified the CRPD. But in the meantime, and I know you have a lot of listeners around the globe, uh, you can go to our disabilityrightspa.org website, uh, check out our Advocacy Matters segment for today, and find the links to that June conference at the United Nations and find all of the statements and workshops and general sessions and learn more about the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Thanks, Joyce. Oh, thank you so much, Perry. That was awesome. And I know, Tony, when we're hearing this, all I have in my mind, Tony, is that last day, that day that we were at uh, the Capitol Hill to see that pass uh, when it did not. I will never forget that. Never forget it. So, We all do have to keep fighting this fight. Uh, And Perry, I wish you also a wonderful 4th of July. DisabilityRightsPA.org. Make a contribution today. Thanks, Perry. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Take care. All right. Tony, I know you remember that. I sure do, Joyce. Uh, In order to pass uh, a treaty or to confirm a treaty, it takes two-thirds vote of the Senate, and uh, we fell two votes short of the two-thirds needed. And uh, it was a really sad day because Bob Dole, who was one of the people that deserves a lot of credit for the ADA, uh, was on the floor of the Senate in his wheelchair, and his wife, who was a senator from North Carolina, uh, was on the floor as well. And we had the commitments. And because of a Republican conference luncheon that day, uh, Senator-elect, who hadn't been confirmed yet, Ted Cruz, uh, went to this Republican Senate lunch 
and spoke against the treaty, talking about how the UN would be able to take away uh, disabled kids from their families if this were adopted, and some other wild charges. And at the end, uh, we then lost commitments. Um, one of the senators from, from uh, Pennsylvania actually was one of those that strongly opposed us. Um, so it was a huge disappointment. Um, most of us shed a few tears because we felt we would get there. one of two countries in the world who haven't ratified the treaty. I know, that's terrible. Well, we have to just keep fighting this fight. And listeners, make sure you go to disabilityrightspa.org and read Advocacy Matters. That's the name of our news break, Advocacy Matters. Check it out. You'll be able to get all the information that uh, that you need and that can help you. Tony, you mentioned President Bush. I know that it was hard for you when he passed away, as it was for so many of us. But you worked with him. What was that like to work with President Bush? Well, as you know, Joyce, I refer to him as Papa Bush. He became a great friend along with his wife, Barbara, uh, and his children. And the interesting thing, not only did he sign the ADA, but when the Supreme Court ruled that uh, those of us with non-visible disabilities were not included in the ADA, um, which I took as a personal insult because I helped write it, and obviously what they were saying is that I didn't take care of myself. Um, and so when that happened, then we had to do the ADA Amendments Act, and Papa um, Bush's son, uh, W, uh, was the president, and he signed the Amendments Act. So you had both uh, Bush presidents who played a very active, positive role in regards to disabilities. Papa um, Bush was a, a real gentleman that you could depend on his word and was extremely helpful. Um, uh, and, if I'm, and if I'm right also, you went, didn't you go meet with him about the ADA Amendments Act? Didn't you meet with him in person about that? I flew down to Houston uh, to meet with him because I'd gotten word that um, the People were working against the ADA Amendments Act and urging um, W to veto it. And so I uh, didn't know, um, I knew W, but not that well. And so I flew down to meet with Papa Bush and told him what was going on. And he said, well, where is it locked up? And I said, uh, well, I was a little defensive at that time. I said, I've only been told. I don't know personally. So notice where were you? Where is it locked up? What were you told? And I said in uh, Cheney's office, the vice president. And he said, uh, "Well, I'll take care of that. That's the L word with me." So he gets on the phone, talks to President um, W. Bush, chief of staff, tells him how important this is to him. It's the L word, and so forth. 
So when he got off, I was thinking as he was saying that, I hope he wasn't referring to liberal because that would have really destroyed our ability to get a doctor. So I said to him, I said, what do you mean by the L word? And he said, legacy. I don't like to use that term, so I don't say it. But he said, it's my legacy, uh, and I don't want my son messing it up. And so <laughs> I was very happy after that. And, and of course, uh, W signed the ADA Memsec. So that was significant as well. I mean, but who would believe that? You were the Democratic whip in Congress, and now here you are, the one meeting with uh, former President, uh, the late President Bush. I mean, that is amazing, but I know that not only did he love you, I know all the Bushes do, and I know uh, that you are in the book Doro wrote, Doro Bush Cook, about her father, my father, my president. Um, So... That is a great example of where, to me, uh, kindness, love, compassion, integrity, doing the right thing was not partisan. You know what I mean with President Bush? This was just something he wanted to do. Uh, he He wanted to work across party lines to get things done, and that's the way you get things done. But he was a a great, great man. Yes, he was a great man. Well, Tony, um, before I want to just make sure before the show ends today that we get to talk about this one thing, and that is the Tony Coelho Center, uh, which I was so honored to be uh, at. You know the inaugural uh, event that you had, but. A lot of people, they may not know about it. First, I, if you could tell everyone what it is, but also how did this come to be? Like in your mind, what, what, how, how did you come up with this idea? Well, it was uh, inaugurated on November 5th of last year, and it's at uh, Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles where I went to school. Um, and I thought... Uh, after being out of Congress and doing a lot of things in regards to disabilities and with President Clinton and, and uh, President Obama and so forth, I thought that I wanted to um, pay back um, uh, all the good things that had happened to me by setting up uh, a center and an archive of all my work someplace. And I interviewed five different colleges to see what they would do. And at Loyola, the dean of the law school is a world-renowned expert on uh, ADA and disability law. Um, So that was very attractive to me. And then the president of the university uh, agreed to one of my stipulations is that all the silos would have to come down, meaning uh, for the center, I didn't want to have the engineering school do this and business school do that and so forth. I wanted all the seven deans at the university to work together uh, under the center uh, to get things done, to work with each other, solving problems, uh, coming up with ideas and so forth. And the president of the university said he would do that. So then I decided that the family would uh, put up uh, money to start this thing and 
raise the balance of the money to get it done. And uh, I think that because, in effect, uh, what Loyola did was to save me when I was suicidal, that uh, I owed it to them as long as they would do the things that I felt needed to be done. So I'm excited about it. It's, it's worked extremely well. The inaugural event, as you point out, was a wonderful event. And here we are uh, now, what, seven months uh, later, and we are having, uh, in a couple of weeks, an inaugural event And in that one of my passions is that how do we get uh, young people to be interested in disability law? Which means how do we get young people with disabilities uh, into colleges? How do we get young people with disabilities when they graduate from college to go to law school? How do we get uh, people with disabilities who have graduated from law school into law firms? And then how do we get people uh, with experience that have disabilities appointed to the courts? That's my ultimate goal. Because when uh, President Clinton and President Obama, when I was working with them, uh, the issue was who has a disability that's uh, with a legal background and so forth that we could appoint to a court. And we just don't have a bench. And more are, are now getting into it. So our effort at the center is to make that a primary goal of ours. And so a couple of weeks, we have uh, uh, 15 different individuals with disabilities um, uh, who are in law school or going to law school, uh, and they'll be working the, uh, the summer and beyond in regards to pursuing their career with us mentoring and helping and so forth. Uh, and we're also working with the American Bar Association uh, to help us get uh, law schools to recruit and then get law firms to um, recruit people with disabilities, and so forth. So that's a, a major effort on our part. So it's exciting that it's going to be put in place in a couple of weeks. And we have some outstanding young people uh, that are participating in the program, and we'll announce it uh, publicly in uh, two weeks. So it's exciting to me. We're also doing a lot of convening in regards to different issues, technology, to employment uh, and uh, helping out uh, people with disabilities in all kinds of different areas. Um, exciting time, and I'm, I'm devoting time to it and commitment to make it a success and that it'll last long beyond my life. So that's what it is. If anybody's interested, the executive director is Catherine Perez. And you can email her at Catherine with a K dot Perez P E R E Z at L L S dot E D U. So that's Catherine Perez at um, Loyola Law School dot E D U. Her Twitter handle is at the Quello Center. So very easy. At Loyola Center. Is that what you said? Yeah, at the at the Quello Center. 
at the Coelho Center. Okay. I want to tell you that is so exciting. I wondered how people follow up with that. Um, so there now they know. And uh, I mean, that is just something so exciting to get so many people involved with. And I really think, as you said, that it can make a difference. Tony, will people be able to continue to make donations? Yes. Uh, we are, uh, our goal is $5 million. We're at four. And we then hope to go beyond the $5 million so that we can do other activities and make this fellowship program even broader than 15. Um, so, yes, people could make contributions. We do love it. And, and I think that people would be very pleased with the work uh, that we're doing. That would be great. Um, how do they do that, Tony? Uh, they can contact uh, uh, Catherine Perez uh, at lls.edu, Catherine.perez, and Catherine with a K. Um, and we can do that. Or we can go to the website and donate through that. Okay. Well, I, how did that feel to you, Tony? I mean, I can't even imagine how you felt that at that event. That must have been so overwhelming to you. It was uh, because it meant that so many people were being supportive, and it's my dream come true. Um, I wanted something that um, would help people as a result of what I've benefited from. Um, people have been so good to me and uh, provided me the opportunity to do so many things. And I wanted that when I'm gone that there is something in place that continues to make a difference in the lives of people with disabilities. This is it. And I'm excited about uh, uh, several events in regards to convening and getting involved in well, well, I will be keeping people up to date also. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to the show, um, and of course you can reach me at voiceamerica.com or at benderconsult.com, but we will be keeping you up to date on the Quello Center. Um, it is just so exciting what Tony's doing. Uh, and thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Tony. One thing I wanted to make sure I talk about, especially not only because we're talking about the rights of people with disabilities as we celebrate, uh, you know, this week, the independence of our country on the 4th of July, and happy 4th to everyone in the United States that it will be celebrating that day. But for us also, it is our Independence Day, July 26th, in the United States, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Rights give you power, and one of those rights is voting. And you do so much in this area, Tony, and, of course, recognized as such a powerful um, former congressman and uh, can't, ran a presidential campaign. I wanted to ask you, as people are listening to you, how important it is for them to get out and vote. Uh, 
Well, I think the one thing that we did at the Quote Center was to uh, do a poll of the disability community and find out a little bit about their interests and concerns and so forth. One of the things we found out is that uh, around a little over 20 to 25 percent of the U.S. population has a disability. And then what we found out is that if you take uh, those individuals, plus their loved ones are caregivers, that basically we represent over 50% of the U.S. population. What we also found is that um, some people with disabilities vote, but that basically getting, getting uh, to a voting booth, making things accessible is a problem, and getting people to understand that because we're so big, uh, that we could have a tremendous influence in regard to public policy in order to provide for uh, the uh, opportunities that our community needs and to fight off the discrimination uh, that we face all the time. Now, one of the things that I've done is that I have uh, uh, set up the Disability Council in the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. I wish somebody would do the same thing on, in the Republican Committee. Uh, but what we're doing is we're making sure that all of the uh, Democratic Party's facilities are accessible. Uh, we're working on um, uh, every campaign and so forth. I, feel strongly about the fact that the last debate, the word disability was not mentioned, and so I'm pursuing that and so forth in regards to moderators, in regards to the networks, and in regards to um, our community, in that uh, I'm urging um, people with disabilities to send in questions to uh, the network, CNN's the next one, um, about uh, disabilities, a concern that they have, or whatever it is, so that they're flooded with questions that um, each of us want to ask these presidential candidates, so that the moderators feel that they have to ask a question on disability and the candidates can respond to it. There were so many opportunities in the last debate on health care and enforcements and so forth where um, we could have been included in the debate but weren't. And it's very upsetting to me. And so I'm working hard on that. Um, and I truly believe that we'll succeed in getting this effort done. Uh, we worked hard, as Joyce, you know, and when Hillary ran for president uh, and getting uh, to be included on everything, and she did in her campaign include us. At an event in Orlando, Florida, just on disability issues publicized nationally. And at the convention, uh, every speaker at the convention, Obama, Michelle, uh, the president, I mean, yeah, President Clinton, he spoke, and all the other speakers all mentioned disabilities. And then uh, we were prepared with policy issues going forward. We have to do the same thing. We have to do the same thing now. We've got to make sure that we don't step backwards, that we've got to be aggressive and make sure that candidates on both parties, that uh, President Trump, uh, that he gets bombarded with our questions and, 
and if Bill Weld ends up running against him, that he would also. But then all the Democratic candidates, um, they should respond. They should acknowledge our community and what our concerns are. Um, but I take the view very, very strongly that, yes, I'm critical of the moderators and the networks and, and the candidates, but I'm also very aggressive, and so we have to get out and make that happen. Oh, well, I hope everyone here does listen and gets out with that vote. Uh, You've got to vote. That's your right. But you've got to register. You've got to vote. And you should do what Tony said, and you should let CNN know questions you want answered. I know I will about employment. So, Tony, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Joyce. It's always an honor to to be involved with you in every way that I am, but uh, particularly with this show, which uh, helps educate people throughout the world uh, about what's going on in disabilities. That's very important. I applaud you for it. Oh, thank you. And we end every show with a quote from an American or somewhere else throughout the world that has made such a tremendous positive difference. So... In the words of Tony Coelho, give us the right to be fired. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.